Eric and I are sitting in the living room of my 400 square foot apartment. My partner and I are about two days from moving and we are surrounded by boxes. There's really something special about having Eric over, especially when things aren't all put together. It's this kind of intimacy that we've built that comes from mutual respect, enjoyment, and trust. We're sitting slumber party style. We're really close together and we're almost touching. Eric is an illustrator, designer, and poet, and we were connected about eight months ago through our mutual friend, Kat. His second book, I Love Another and Thus I Hate Myself, came out earlier this year. Eric has been a champion of this podcast, and we got really excited about having a conversation together. You might hear some funny sounds in the audio, and that's simply because, forget the mics, forget the fancy equipment, we recorded this on my iPhone. I actually knew Eric through Instagram before I met him in person, and I had a lot of ideas about his creative process. I think I just had, as a writer myself, I feel like I think everybody else is doing it better than me. And I I feel like there's a big disconnect between, you know, I have this very like secret world Mm -hmm. because you know me and maybe not everybody listening does, but I'm pretty friendly. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of goofy. I would say I'm kind of dorky and my poetry is really serious and very depthful and very slow and very calculated. And I feel like that is true to who I am. But if you just know me as a friend and you've never read any of my work, I feel like you'd be like, who is this person? And they don't line up, they don't match up. And so I think I had this idea that like you were, like it was really easy and you just like got up one day. This was, you know, a long time ago, well, six months ago maybe before I knew you as well as I do now. but. I thought like, oh, this is just must be the easiest thing. Like put it together and just put it out there. And I don't know if that's exactly true. I think I just thought you were so cool, which I I still think you're so cool. And you carry yourself in such a confident way. I love the way that you dress. I just, I felt like, oh my God, this is like a person that I want to be around. A person that I'm like drawn to, like a person that's interesting to me. And so, of course, because I, like, feel that way, I also think, like, oh, they're, they must be doing it better than I'm doing it. <laughs> and so I want to know about the experience of putting the book together because I think it was – I think it should have – it must have been, like, so easy and quick and painless. And I don't think that's what the process was really like. Yeah. And so I want to hear about that experience of putting the book together yeah. and choosing to put it out in the world. I mean, I want to I want to tell everyone it was easy because um, it it in some in some way it was easy for me because I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. That's why it was easy. But there were so many steps, even before thinking of it being a book. Um, I just I've always loved the idea of being a writer, like mm-hmm. which is very what is the word egotistical maybe narcissist, but. Like, I just love the idea because I read books. And I was like, oh, look at these people. They're smart. They're, they're, they have everything put together. And, like, and I thought I wanted to do that. But 
never really did it. I just wrote for fun because I liked it. I liked telling stories. And and then I discovered poetry, and I was like, this is beautiful. Like, you're basically telling me a story, but, like, with metaphors and personification and just wordplay. And I'm like, it's like it's like rap. It's like making a song. It's it, And it just... So I just used it as... Um, as a tool of therapy because I just never I never had the chance to have someone be a therapist to me or help me through problems when I was a kid so I just wrote um, whatever I felt um, and did then you I, share your work with other people I did like my aunt so my first book before this one I don't know if you ever heard of it it's on Amazon by the way I okay. don't know how because I thought I took it down but I guess Amazon owns it now <laughs> so they're going to get a lawsuit from me but um, it's called Elephant in the Room and that poem, those poems were about like my family um, growing up, moving, and then being homeless, and then going into college, learning about my sexuality, becoming an adult, having my first real boyfriend, and then breaking up with him, and then doing a lot of self reflection. When did that? When did you write that? Oh, that was because the poems literally started when I was like fifteen, I think. And then I think I finished the book when I was, like, 19 because it was just, like, it was, like, at least 300 pages. And yeah. it just was too much. <laughs> and I was just, like, <laughs> what was wrong with me that at that time? Because now when I think about it, I'm, like, I love short things. I like things that get to the point. But um, I think 19 is when I thought, all right, I'm going to publish it. I'm going to try to sell it and see if it works because the person I was with at the time really encouraged me to be, be a writer. He was, like, you should really do it. And I feel like like you telling stories or you you speaking about things is it's going to be special one day mm-hmm. and I was like I believed him mm-hmm. I was like and then I believed it when I said it and I was like, we often forget what goes into putting a book together mm-hmm. it's not just writing a poem or two and like putting it together in a book it's also order it's a lot of like unsexy is, stuff I'm telling you that's that was another thing that was because I remember my partner Jerry was like asking me he's like what are you doing because I was like I had I knew I wanted it to be a story I wanted to tell a story from the beginning to the end how I know it um and hopefully when you read it you can get it you can say oh okay so that is the revolution of this part and um no it wasn't easy doing that I had to you know you have to think of the cover you have to think of a title you have to think of um the spelling editing like I am a terrible speller I'm a terrible editor like I would go over the same thing over and over and I would see the same mistake and I'm like that makes sense like so that's why I'm like um it it was a lot of work and the first book was easy because all the poems were done um there wasn't really anything to edit or anything I just had to make a cover I had to think of a concept I had to make some kind of synopsis or blurb and then that was it Mm -hmm. and I let it go but then for the second book, I was like, this one has to be, this, I have to mature. So I took mm-hmm. a break from doing it, read more poems, did all that stuff. And then it came to me when I read this one poem by Thomas, I think it's Thomas Wyatt. Um, and there's a line in it where he says, um, I love another and thus I hate myself. Mm-hmm. And The poem that Eric's referencing here is called I Find No Peace by Sir Thomas Wyatt. 
It makes a lot of sense to me why Eric would choose this poet to draw inspiration from. Sir Thomas Wyatt's work was complex and muddy, and it often mixed his personal and private life, something that felt groundbreaking in the 1500s. Eric's work is also a process, and it grapples with some pretty personal subject matter, while also taking into consideration everyone's human experience. It was only easy because I really wanted to heal from um, a breakup, from not just you know my ex, but also from my friends, from mm-hmm. my sister, from my the life that I thought I was gonna have. Like I had to move past those things in order to be here now, um, and I used it as therapy. And now that I'm out of it, I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not as angry. I'm not as um, depressed about it. Like I'm I'm at peace at this these relationships that I lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the book, but a part of me doesn't. Like the only chapter I remember the most is chapter four. Mm. <laughs> Why is that the one that sticks with you? Like what what is it? Was it the, the hardest, the easiest? Like what about it was? It's the art of letting go, and it's like something I've been living my whole life. Is like the idea of letting something go, and it also just talks about the idea of like mourning a person that is alive and you're never going to see them again but then it's also me mourning someone who had died Mm. so I I was juggling both things at once and I was just like that that chapter actually just made me get out of it and Mm. see life different I think I think grief shapes the way that we interact with the world you know I lost my grandparents pretty early my the last grandparent that I had, I lost my senior year of college or my junior year of college. And it was a really difficult experience. But it did teach me how to let go of things, how to navigate grief, how to come to terms with the fact that things end and that things can end in a messy way or might may not be a clean break. I mean, my my grandmother was a really funny person. <laughs> she never bought me a gift. She never she wasn't very um like loving, yeah. but I knew that she loved me. Yeah. And I think I had to accept the fact that or I had to accept the kind of love that I was given because that was what I got. And that kind of sounds depressing, but it really wasn't depressing. It was important. No. And I think grief we shy away from grief because we're scared of experiencing loss and we don't want to face it. But I think once you do, you can learn how to hold things with an open hand. I want to, you made the book and you put it out and it was, I feel like so many of our friends read it and have bought it. I have given my copy away because I wanted another friend to read it. I feel like in my opinion, I think the book has been a success. It's done what you wanted it to do. Yeah. And I think it will continue to do that because so. it came out only a few months ago. But putting out that work is a very vulnerable act. And yeah. there are all these conversations about how your work should speak for itself. You know, it should have its own legs. But when you're in front of people and you're <laughs> reading it for the first time and you're putting yourself out there and you're exposing this part of yourself, which I think for both of us is a very vulnerable and maybe, maybe not hidden, but um, maybe 
maybe segregated from our yeah, yeah. life with friends, yeah. you know, this, diff- this like part of ourselves that's so precious. It's so scary. It's humbling. It's terrifying. And I think if I, if I didn't know you and I saw you read, I would think, oh, wow, this person has it all together. This comes so naturally to them. They're so talented. But because I know you as, so as well as I do, I know that experience of reading for the first time was a very vulnerable act. And you read with Thems, which is a queer collective here in Phoenix. And I want to know, I want you to share, I think, with people listening, the experience of reading for the first time and what that was like. I don't know if people know that that was the first time you'd ever read in front of an audience, which is like a very, which is such a uh, brave thing to do. Thank you. So I I think it's brave. I was too scared. I thought it was going to be easy for some reason, but I think it's just, it was mostly not easy because I'm not reading, I'm not just reading random poems. I'm reading stories of my life and in in my opinion, I feel like if I if I read something like that, I feel like I I know a part of you now. So mm-hmm. when I'm sharing it with even strangers, I'm like, I thought I could get through it, and I just, I mean, I read like maybe four poems, and I just couldn't, I just couldn't do another one. I was supposed to do like six, hmm. and I was feeling emotional. I was feeling, I was feeling it all over again, hmm. and I think, I think that's gonna be my reason for never wanting to read is because I I feel it when I read it again Mm -hmm. like even though I'm past it I've healed and I feel I feel stronger but Mm -hmm. it just I feel so deeply that I could I could relive those moments Mm -hmm. Um, why do you think that happens when you're reading like how does it change from something that when you're by yourself you're reading it you see it in this way of maybe it's a courage it's a You've gotten past it. You yeah. feel healed. Maybe it feels complete. Yeah. How does that change when you're reading it in front of people? Oh, because I, I know that when I read it by myself, I know that it's powerful. Like, mm-hmm. it's powerful to to get to a point to be vulnerable. And then when it's time to display <laughs> vulnerability, that's when I was like, oh, you're, not, you're still not ready for that. Mm-hmm. So um, even in front of strangers, which yeah. is crazy. Um, so that's why I, I want to get better at it, especially if, you know, I do want to do tours. I would love to read to people and have them feel encouraged to be writers and stuff, but, um, I have to get over that. I have to get over the idea that of, I don't even know what it is. I'm just, it's just so much pain to relive every time I read it out loud to someone. Um, but I haven't read them in a long time, so I think that was the last time I read them, and yeah, I just moved on, but it, I think for people who do write poetry and that has, you know, they're able to display and reenact the poem, I feel like those are the people that need to be teaching people like me on how to be because it's brave period to do it but i feel like they need to teach people like me how to be more confident in mm-hmm. my scared moments or my uncomfortable moments cuz the people that show up at these poetry readings that we hold it's like 
I'm like, wow, like the confidence on these people. And I'm just like, I wish we had cameras so we can like upload it and so people can see it. Cause it's like, these people are fearless mm. and they inspire me to be fearless. So I feel like every time I do it, I'm just like, okay, maybe next time I'm going to read or maybe next time I'm going to read because I want to be able to get to a place where I can get everyone to be reading for hours like as eric and i continued to talk i kept wanting to return to this idea over and over again this idea that even the people that we idolize and admire get nervous creating anything whether it's a business idea a poem a photo a piece of art and putting that thing out in the world never feels easy despite what it might seem like on the internet. When Eric and I originally dreamed up this podcast, I think we both hoped that it would encourage people to be less afraid. We both want to destigmatize being nervous and create an environment where everyone at every skill level belongs. You know, I did go to poetry school and I did do writing school. Yes. But I think one thing that I learned when I first started writing poetry was that I kept it, you know, I made it very exclusive. I did have a reading series and I did teach poetry workshops. And this was when I would have been like 24, 23, 24. But I did keep people out. I did because I I thought that I knew what She's was like, best. She's like, there's a list, and your last thing's not on it. Sorry, we can't yeah. Come. Sorry. And I, you know, I don't judge myself for that. I was a kid, whatever. <laughs> it happens. We all have things that we do or did for a reason, and as long as you didn't harm anyone <laughs> completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I just wanted, you know, I think I had so much to prove, and yeah. I wanted to like. We all do be the best and I wanted to I also wanted to like kind of I wanted it to be my thing and I felt very you know there's this whole idea of like scarcity mindset I thought there was only enough attention in my community to go around and I wanted it all and now I don't I I turned 30 in like last year and I just don't feel that way anymore I don't want poetry or anything that I love to be exclusive I want everyone to be able to enjoy it I think yeah. everybody is is worthy of vulnerability courage bravery expression yeah um and I think at the end of the day I think I have a much looser grip on on wanting to be the best or do the best I think of course I'm not gonna say like oh I don't want people you know I'm so humble now <laughs> I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's exactly true you know but I do I do truly believe that I think you know that poetry should be this place where yeah. people can explore and experiment yes. and you don't have to be good that's that's why we did this poetry thing because um, we wanted to have a space for for people to express themselves and not be afraid to write or become a writer. Because I know growing up, I I looked to the people that was queer, like mm-hmm. James Baldwin. Like, yeah. I'm like, he's a queer, dark-skinned black man. And he's queer and he's freaking proud about it. Like, he, there's no, no apologies. And I was like, I gotta be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta be that guy. Basquiat, um, 
I just I, there's so many people I just can't even think about them but it's just like these people made me believe like you can't be afraid to do what you want to do mm-hmm. so now that I'm older and I feel like my voice has risen I feel like I'm the phoenix that's what my ex used to always say he's like you're like the phoenix that rise from the ashes and I was like uh-huh. okay <laughs> I'll take it okay baby <laughs> but um so I just like I want to I've always wanted to create that space and I feel like I manifested this I just didn't know how to do it and Cisco knew how to put on events and I manifested that and I've always admired Cisco from far I was like always liking every picture they would like post and I was like I love this person and I just it just came into my lap and we did it and we don't exclude you know cis people we um welcome cis people to show up my best friend cis straight man he goes once in a while he's not even a reader he doesn't even read he doesn't even he doesn't really write uh, but he goes to support me obviously but he he loves it he thinks it's it's amazing and I think that's the reason why we did it we want a stage for the queer people and we welcome anyone to come and support them and show up um you know it's not inclusive I mean it's not exclusive you don't have to have a ticket or anything show up as you are do as you are and just read and listen we have Prosecco we have fruits because it's fruity night so it's just um I feel like it's such a calling for me I've always wanted to do it and I think I'm finally doing it Mm -hmm. and I'm happy If you're interested in Fruity Poetry Night, the next reading is at Afternoon Studios on June 28th from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find all the information at Thems, Thems, Thems on Instagram. If you'd like to buy Eric's book, you can buy it straight from Eric's website at ericcadet.com or you can buy it from wherever books are sold. If you'd like to keep up with me, Danny Johnson, and the Many People podcast, you can subscribe to my free Substack at dannyjohnson.substack.com or check out my Instagram at daniellemjohnson underscore. I want to leave you with a quote from Eric. It's one that I've been listening to over and over as I edit, and it's one that I want to keep in my heart for a really long time. If you're a creative person who wants to put something out in the world, I want you to take this as a benediction. With that, here's Eric. You're okay. You're going to do everything to your best ability, and it's going to be perfect. If you Mm -hmm. fuck it up, still perfect. Do it again.